This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of door to the lands of always winter, what's west of west, whatever is under the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsack for the 30th edition of Casterly Talk, once called Daily Thrones. Casterly talk. So much to talk about always. We've got to look back. We've got to look sideways. We've got to look towards the books. We've got to look towards the prequel. And is the prequel called Blood Moon? You know, we haven't really addressed it on the show. That that name's been around for a while. We know George R. R. Martin was talking about calling it The Long Night. Uh, maybe it was going to be called The Longer Night. He and uh, Jane Goldman working on this series. Uh, working titles are always out there and those may end up being the names most likely they are just that working titles production titles blue harvest the the exciting sixth chapter in the star wars series is something we all remember of course blood moon has has resurfaced time and time again and it, and it does make some sense i i don't like to go deep into the speculation uh, the leaks uh, the scoops all those kind of things but there was something that popped up this week. Our one of our first good shots, good shots. It's a, it's kind of a blurry uh, video passing by of Naomi Watts, one of the leads in the show. Right now, I'd say the most recognizable name in the cast, talented performer, and wearing a uh, interesting costume. There, great costume, all kind of like gold and white, a gown, almost like a, a Greek goddess type of thing. And uh, you know, her character is described as. As being kind of, uh, uh, I don't say upper crust, uh, like a snooty rich person uh, in the world of Game of Thrones, but just uh, a socialite with a secret. And a lot of people having fun speculating on what that could mean, myself included. Is it Nisa Nisa? Is it, is it uh, uh, some god sent to Earth? Uh, or is it just uh, a, a rich, powerful person in Westeros? It could be all of it. could be one of them. We don't know quite yet. We'll get more information and wait for it there. But because of this, uh, the name Blood Moon showed up more in my feed this week than ever before. And if that's the title, I'm all on board. It is. It's interesting. It's it's a tough sell for any name because this is the GOT, the Game of Thrones prequel series, and you are hoping hoping to pull in, of course, all the casual and and uh, plethora of of casual fans out there that uh, don't know uh, a deep cut reference and blood moon is that going to pull them in is it blood moon a game of thrones story do you need that we mock the lucasfilm decision and the disney's decision to call it rogue one a star wars story solo a star wars story but uh, when you really get down to it those kind of things do need to happen case in point this name we've talked about it before Casterly Talk. Lon Harris came up with that name with a list of uh, uh, 49 other great names for the podcast, the show that was going to be going on over in Screen Junkies, Screen Junkies Plus, that eventually became Watching Thrones. I hosted the first season of that, a lot of fun. Lon was uh, working with that with me on that show to, to produce it, kind of be a, uh, a fact checker, if you will, on the sidelines. 
though he was not allowed to be on air as much as I would have liked. But uh, we pitched that name and we love that name. And the name was rejected. And guess what? I do understand and Lon understand as well, uh, understood as well, because Casually Talk is a great, juicy pun for a lot of fans of uh, the series. But even casual fans, don't forget, at the time when the show launched, going into, do believe, the uh, sixth season of uh, the show. Oh, gosh, time, time, absolutely, yeah, sixth season of the show uh, was when we were going in to do and what, what became Watching Thrones. Casually Rock, other than maybe being mentioned here and there, we, we hadn't seen it. We didn't. We don't really see it till season seven, and arguably you don't see it at all, right? Just a shot and a couple scenes. And uh, I, I, it's a hard sell. Casterly talk. What's that? It's a Game of Thrones podcast. Well, why? Well, because once you get to that point, it, it's a tough marketing sell. Watching Thrones became the name. Here, it's ours. We're going a little niche. If if you're listening to us, you probably get the reference, uh, which is why our numbers remain wonderfully comfortable uh, and intimate. Uh, and that's fine. And that's fine. So I look at Blood Moon and I think... Kind of the same thing. Blood Moon. Oh, we're going with some sparkle vampires here, right? Uh, you see that on a lineup, just on a piece of paper. Flipping through the TV guide, if you're back in time. Blood Moon's not going to stand out to you as a Game of Thrones show. I I, I don't think that if that ends up being the name. Again, I, I, I don't know. I'm not convinced yet. HBO hasn't put out anything officially. Always in this world of movie scoops and TV scoops, and innuendo and gossip running as stories for all these sites scrambling for clicks. Uh, don't believe it until it's official. And even then, don't believe it until it's on your screen. Um, but Blood Moon could pose an interesting challenge. I think once it's known, it's a great name. I think the key is how do you get it known? And then how do you put that balance of it's its own show, but it's connected. George R. R. Martin's uh, working on it. He, he's behind it. Uh, we've got uh, names, houses, lands that you're familiar with, but it's also very different. So you got to weigh how much you're going to go on your own path, but you want the rub early on. You want to you want to uh, wrestle. It's like a wrestling term. Uh, you want to wrestle Game of Thrones in the main event. They're going to put you over. Game of Thrones is going to let you get the pin, but you want the rub from their legacy, from their uh, show and fans. So it's an interesting balance. I trust HBO to do it. We are all anticipating it. They could simply call it the Game of Thrones prequel show will be there. Uh, It could be something even more fancy and and narrow focused than Blood Moon will be there. But it's interesting and I'm excited to. Just going through the, even the Google News today, uh, looking at it there, you know, the sh- reports of the prequel's been shot. It's done. The, the pilot episode, I should say. And, and uh, we're in this uh, time where, yeah, leaks will come out. Uh, I, I don't want to look at plot leaks at this point. But what's interesting is I, I think I, where it's like Star Wars or going into a specific Game of Thrones season, I want to avoid leaks. I want to avoid any plot details, any context. I just want to experience it as best I can as it rolls out in front of me. Uh, with the with, with this series, with prequel, uh, the prequel series, uh, I kind of want to know a little bit just because I'm so curious what's going on right now. And it is all speculation. It is all speculation. So uh, we'll be covering it and we'll be looking forward to it. That's why I keep saying there's so much, uh, so much still to talk about in the world of Ice and Fire because we've got this show. And, you know, will it get picked up? Yeah, you know, I got to imagine. Well, I got to imagine we're at least getting one or two seasons. Uh, it's not official. Hey, don't forget Game of Thrones for a while. It was one of those, we'll see next year. We'll re- re- renew you next year. 
was it about season three that it was like, all right, we're going to be able to finish our story the way we want, whether or not you liked it or not, uh, which is uh, one of the interesting things I want to talk about here uh, up top here. We're our friend Eric Monroe, uh, a regular caller and contributor to Casually Talk, has this interesting and somewhat depressing question. It's not Eric's fault, but it's a good question. We're going to go there. They're going to respond to some of the what-ifs put out last week, the one about Obrin uh, Martel and if he had uh, actually killed the mountain. And uh, another what if posed. Um, couple, I got a couple choices. We're gonna go with one today. That's what I do. I do it on the fly here. Castle talk. Let's talk to Eric right now with this thought about Game of Thrones legacy. Hey, Ken Cashley Talk. So I'm a little worried about the legacy of the show, and I'm going to tell you why. Here in Philly, you know, I run into people. You know, my doctor who knows I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. The first thing she does when she walks in, before even asking how I'm doing, is tells me how much she hates hated season eight. You know, I was at a pool party a couple weeks ago when the topic came up. And again, season eight gets trashed. Um, this past weekend, I was at another party, a barbecue, and season eight, once again, gets completely trashed. And, you know, it has me a little worried. I, I don't know what your experiences are like. I'm not talking about the Internet. I'm talking about, like, your day-to-day life. But mine here in Philly have been overwhelmingly negative and it does have me worried because it shows me, you know, it's not just a small little fan group that's very vocal. It's a decent number of people that really had a problem with season eight. So what do you think? What do you think this legacy of the show in the end is going to be? This is a very tough question and and one I want to revisit with Lon Harris, Rachel Cushing and Andres Cabrera and uh, Thomas Rizling as well. Uh, the, the the other regular cast and contributors here at Casterly Talk. But it's just me right now talking to you, talking to Eric, and this is a big question. And, and this is what I mean in get depressing. I, I will I will make the references and, and, and cross-reference Star Wars. Um, huge Star Wars fan, obviously. Uh, love it. Celebrate Star Wars. Wrote the book Why We Love Star Wars. I love Star Wars, and I legitimately love everything in this new era. I know other people aren't. Um, I do believe the the casual fan and casual doesn't mean you fleeting it's a fleeting ah, I like Star Wars I like Game of Thrones so they watch it every week maybe they'll buy a Funko Pop uh, maybe they have a map on a wall or a poster on a wall a casual fan does, is not dismissive term at all to me it's just someone who watches the show enjoys the show maybe they'll watch uh, the seasons a couple times uh, maybe they won't but they move on with their lives and they're not listening to Casterly Talk and they're not recording shows and that actually believe me is okay uh, I don't want that to come across as dismissive at all. Uh, casual fan is the important group of fans. Now, with Star Wars, I'd say more casual fans are happy with the new Star Wars. But also, a lot are not familiar with uh, with the idea that they're even going on. I've actually run into those fans. I'm a big Star Wars fan. You see Solo? Oh, no. Hey, what's that? Um, it happens. It happens. Um, but as far as legacies, I think there is something to where... If, if 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 a show or movie creates a, a question with something on it that isn't uh, easily immediately identified as perfect or good, uh, conversations do arise. And then in casual offline, and I agree with you, Eric, we'll talk, we're talking offline. I have had these experiences both with Star Wars and Game of Thrones. It just becomes the talk, the water cooler talk of the day. It becomes, oh, Game of Thrones, that sucked, right? That That, that ended bad. Now... Are there legitimate complaints or the legitimate conversations to have about Game of Thrones season eight? You absolutely are right. There are. Uh, same with Star Wars. Do I love The Last Jedi, my second favorite Star Wars film. Do I look at it and go, yeah, I can understand there's things that might be hard to swallow. There's things that just you might not like and you might not understand. And all those things are fine. 
Um, after a while, I personally choose to have to ignore it because I think time will uh, heal a lot of wounds and a lot of these projects and properties will stand the test of time or change over time. Looking at the prequels, even my own growth as a fan of the Star Wars prequels has changed. Where I went from, ah, I think that was disappointing, to I'm calling myself a prequelist, a term we coined over on Force Center. And I enjoy them, not because I, I fail to see the things that are wrong with them or might be considered wrong with them, but I enjoy them. And over time, there's things I've, more and more things I've pulled from them for uh, my Star Wars enlightenment and my Star Wars comprehension and understanding and just my Star Wars joy. I think Game of Thrones will have that too. I think season eight, when the fires die down, people will look back and the legacy will be okay. But it will, for right now, be kind of that, oh, that ended badly right. And it doesn't mean the casual fan doesn't have a legit reason for thinking that. I'm not saying they're all lemmings just following some headlines and some uh, clickbait YouTube videos. It's just kind of the perception right now. A big example is Seinfeld. Seinfeld is without a doubt one of the most important comedy programs and, 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 and properties in our, in our pop culture history. I'm a big fan of it. Big fan of Seinfeld. Big fan of Larry David. Big fan of everyone on that show. Uh, over time, if you're not there, if you weren't there watching it, you don't understand. You might read and comprehend that it had an effect, but if you weren't there every week, if you weren't with my classmates every Friday morning quoting lines from Seinfeld the night before because it was truly can't-miss television, you, you might not understand it fully. Um, even, you know, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I, I wasn't alive during the 60s, so as much as I understand it and love them and, and say they are influential and they did this and I can run down a list of things they did and influenced, I wasn't there. In 64, I wasn't there watching them on, on, on uh, uh, Ed Sullivan in 63. I, I, I didn't see, you know, I wasn't there in June of 67 when Sergeant Pepper drops and changes the world again. It feels a little different. And so the legacies can kind of diminish. And then also with Seinfeld, going back to that specifically, the finale was considered a letdown. The finale was really. And for a while, it was, well, that ended badly. All of that what was it, eight or nine seasons of Seinfeld, ended that way, ooh, ooh, boo, boo. It does leave a bad taste in your mouth initially. But if you were to bring up Seinfeld around people who are fans of the show and understand its legacy, I think you would find that the final season, which was not considered as strong, and the finale, which was considered a disappointment, don't come up in the conversation as much. Now, did Game of Thrones eclipse Seinfeld? That's tough to measure. I'm talking about a sitcom versus an hour-long big-budget drama with dragons and wizards. I'd say to some degree Game of Thrones eclipsed it in terms of just reception and influence. But I think over time, I think, I think the, the fervor of the hate will die down. And the legacy will be there. And the journey will be there. I think more people will, will re-watch, we re-watch the show and find that their feelings towards season eight aren't as powerful, as strong, as passionate as it was before. Some, though, may still very much dislike it. Going back to Star Wars here as we jump around the pop culture map here. 
it is disappointing. And as someone uh, like Eric, who is a fan of the show, a fan of the series, the book series, and and studies the maps and collects the figures and does all those things that I do and a lot of you listening right now do, it could, it could break your heart a little bit. Even even if you look at season eight and yourself go, yeah, there's some things I didn't like. There's some things I didn't like in seven. There's things I didn't like in four. It could break your heart. As a Star Wars fan, it breaks my heart to have someone be so dismissive of a fun movie like Solo. That had a lot of things in it. Yeah, I understand. But the conversation, the perception was Solo was a failure because the box office, which was a problem, Iger will tell you, Uncle Bob, uh, the director, kerfuffle, and then the directors go and produce uh, a well-received animated show and win awards, and ha, 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 there you go. <sighs> the stories I've heard, it did believe me, we would not have... Yeah, it's a different conversation. Um, so the perception is not as true as reality, but perception is reality, right? So it's sad a little bit. And though sometimes I'll come out swinging, and sometimes I'll come out being a little snarky and fighting back, I've stopped doing that online for sure. And I definitely want to be respectful of other people's opinions and experiences. But I just kind of retreat into my own joy. You can still enjoy Game of Thrones and believe its legacy and feel its legacy and understand its legacy, which is grand, and not have to deal or hear or engage in some of the other negativity. Sometimes it'll find you, but it does you no good. If someone at the grocery store sees your shirt and says, oh, is that Game of Thrones? Yeah, season eight sucked. I've had this, by the way. Just nod. Yeah, 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 yeah. They check, check out my food my veggies, my ice creams, and I leave. My life's going to go on, and I will still consider Game of Thrones Season 8 one of my favorite seasons, and they will not. And that's the way it's going to be. History books, the pop culture history books, I think will still hold Game of Thrones in a very high regard. The day-to-day conversations will die down, I do believe. Uh, The love of the show will even out, steady out. I think a lot of people who are not just casual fans, but in in depth, in the weeds, love the show. I think they'll catch their breath, watch season eight, and be able to celebrate what's there. Season eight just unfortunately had a series of unfortunate events. Not everyone's TV settings were right for the long night. Mine were, and I don't say that as to be snarky. I, I, I still, to this day, it was one of the, it was hilarious in a way. If it wasn't for, so sad, Show ends, and I'm seeing those tweets about people not being able to see the battle. I couldn't understand it. I had that it was solo too, which is another thing that dinged the movie. Yeah, you can't see it. And there was a couple theaters that I went to, I couldn't see it. Others, it was crystal clear, shot beautifully by Bradford Young. Some of my favorite looking Star Wars movies. So season eight had that. Then the coffee cup, and and then uh, people didn't like some of the decisions, and uh, it tied into better, bigger social issues. And then uh, people were were hurt and affected by. Um, Danny's ending, and, and they felt it invalidated the what they learned and, and, and connected with with the character over the seasons. And I think all that stuff is valid, and it's valid to the individual. But I think to the bigger conversation, it will all kind of fade away, even out, and we will always be able to look back at Game of Thrones, HBO's Game of Thrones, and know what it is. One of the greatest shows of all time, one of the greatest properties of all time, and one of the most influential of all time. But if it's not, and it's pan from here to eternity, I'm still going to enjoy it. And I think a lot of you will too. Eric, great 
conversation starter, and we're going to continue that because I don't want just my voice on this conversation. Rachel Lawn, Andres Thomas, and you all, you can call into the Anchor app, leave a message. What do you think about the legacy down the line? Not the legacy now, which I understand is it's a bit tarnished because of this perception. But let's look down the line, Looks, look in the future, and maybe share a story of how you deal with the negativity when it's pushed into your face in real life, not online, where it's maybe less easier to ignore. Last week, we had a great question of what if. We've been doing these Game of Thrones what ifs, looking back on the show and going, well, what if this happened? And we talked about Oberyn Martell sticking with his plan, not letting vengeance overtake him and killing the mountain. And I think, did I earlier say the hound? Oops. Killing the mountain. And Tyrion going free. Uh, Sometimes it's easy to answer these. Sometimes it's just pure fun. I wanted your thoughts. And Billy's got what he would think might happen. Hey, Ken, it's Billy. I just wanted to call in with an answer to Eric's what if about whether the Red Viper, Oberyn Martell, survived his fight with the Mountain. I could totally see him going after Tywin Lannister right after hearing the Mountain's confession that he was ordered to kill Elliot Martell and the children by Tywin. I could totally see Oberyn picking up his spear and then just lunging it straight at Tywin, not worried about the consequences, not worried about his life or maybe the lives of others, just for the chance to take down Tywin. Love that answer, Billy. I actually really do. And I think it's a strong possibility that that would happen. Uh, we've seen this. This is what does happen on the show. Oberyn has a, I'd say, long, drawn-out plan. He's thought about this. He he might find opportunities. I think he found an opportunity. He certainly didn't show up in King's Landing and think, well, all right, Joffrey's going to be killed. They're going to frame Tyrion. I'll stand in for him as a champion. Nah. He saw an opening. He took it. I think he's very smart. He's very methodical, and but he's also very passionate and driven by vengeance and justifiable vengeance and revenge i might add so i absolutely do see do see a world where he kills the mountain but even though he's got his family his love his 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 paramour his his sand snake uh, daughters he's got everything to live for the memory of his sister the memory of his his nephew Family, family strong, right? In all houses in Game of Thrones, but especially in Dorne. He's got all that to live for. And he's got this big moment. We were talking last week. I would think maybe he'd maybe he'd move on. He wouldn't be done, but he'd move on. And maybe he'd find and fight Tywin another way. Maybe he'd go south and gather an army and, and take it north. North being King's Landing and Tywin and the Lannisters. But caught up in the moment, full of adrenaline, full of violent rage, full of vengeance i could absolutely see a scenario especially because the mountain essentially confesses it right now maybe i think he confesses it uh it's been a little while since i've actually watched the fight but i confesses it when it's maybe too late for Oberyn to act on it um yeah i could see him killing the mountain Tyrion's free and Oberyn says what the hell i don't care this is my moment Spear in the chest. Tywin dies another way. I can absolutely see it. I think it's it's within character. He's such a thoughtful character. He he wouldn't normally do that, but Oberyn 
let all that get over, uh, wash over his heart and his mind, more importantly, during that battle. That's what kills him. He had him. Now oh, the mountain's going to lay there. The poison, which he knew, Ober knew he had already probably damaged him. Already probably sentenced him to not a great life and not a great ending. He can't factor in the Kyburn stuff. I don't think he would have planned for that. But I absolutely do see a scenario where Oberyn would have been like, F it, we're going even more. So, Billy, good thought. Good thought. And Billy's not done. He's got a couple great what-ifs, and one's very uh, book book heavy, and we want to get to that, I think, uh, a little bit later. But we got this one here from Billy. Let's keep it going. Billy, great calls here today on Casterly Talk. Hey, Ken. It's Billy. I wanted to discuss my own what-if slash theory about the gods in A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. I've seen and heard a lot of people talking about the gods like they're actual real beings with their own desires and own wishes and like they're actual people. And I really just don't think that's the case. I think that it's all just magic. I think people who use magic get to a certain level where people believe they are gods or people see magic in the world and they're like, wow, that is the work of a god. But in, re- in reality, in this world, that it's, it's not the gods. It's just this magical force that people don't understand. I really think that the faceless men have it right, that death is the only true god in this world, and that magic is really the key behind everything. So I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts about that. This is a great, great thought starter, Billy. I think something we'll revisit as well, especially as we get towards the prequel series, which might be dealing with some of the big myths during the Age of Heroes, the, some that are considered acts of gods, gods coming to Earth, goddesses coming to Earth, all these things, and eh, maybe it's a little more real than we think, or maybe it is more magic-based. Magic is real in the world of Ice and Fire, in the world of Game of Thrones, and Westeros and Essos, and beyond. It's real, but it's gone, it disappears, and we get to see it come back. Danny gets the dragons, Danny gets the eggs, Danny gets the dragons, and then suddenly Piet Pri and uh, his team... Have a little more powers. And the House of the Undying is bustling with action again. Is 2,000, 3,000 years prior, if Piet Pri's run around doing his little parlor tricks, would people look and go, oh, these are gods? Yeah. I don't think they're gods. Do you think they're gods watching the show? No. Jorah and Danny don't seem to think they're gods. They think they're, they're warlocks. They got some power. They're doing something. But it's based out of magic. So... Perhaps, as we've talked about on the show before, a lot of these religions aren't much, aren't real. I'll say this, they're much, they they are much, because, uh, you know, you put a powerful uh, leader behind some of the ideals, say a high sparrow, you can create some problems, you can do some things, do some damage. But if it's carried from... The old gods, the old days, yeah, maybe it has a lot to do with magic. These legends have been passed on down uh, based off real things, and over time it just has devolved into, well, the gods. I I do look at the Lord of Light, Valor, and think that's the only religion that makes makes sense in terms of it's. there's been some results. You can see the whole religion in action. There's something going on there. But again, to Billy's question, what is behind it? Melisandre is using some parlor tricks, but she's also doing some real magic, real powers. Is it just magic or is it from a god? The faceless men, 
might be right. Billy, you you just said it. They might be right. The only the only one that really matters, the only God is death. And not saying that death itself is a an actual real God walking around with a cloak and a scythe hacking people up. It definitely seems like a very matter-of-fact approach. When Ciro Farrell delivers it, I don't think, well, he's talking about death. Or death of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I think he's telling Arya, all of that, everything else you're hearing, does not matter. At the end of the day, either alive or dead. That's the only power that matters. And there's no magic in that. It just is what it is. I think, Billy, and those listening, I think these questions will be answered a little bit more. George will never, I think, want this, whether or not he has that power in the end on a show, even though he's working heavily with this one, but he was working with uh, Game of Thrones in the beginning real heavily too, right? So I don't think the answer will ever come, but the idea that we've got the, the seven, we got the old gods, we got all these new gods. We got the drowned god. We got gods in the trees, gods in the seas, gods in the lakes, gods and goddesses everywhere. Gods in the thunder, gods in the lightning, everywhere. None of it is true. And the legends you've heard are just that legends. And we're going to get the real answers of how the storm was ended at Storm's End. We're going to get the real answers of how the wall was built. Not through God's coming down and making it so, but through the wonderful, weird power of very real magic in this world. That's why I love that this is not a documentary. It's a fantasy. Smarter folks than me can answer this question, and hopefully we'll have that uh, brought up again here on Casually Talk. But that's some of my initial thoughts, and Billy, that's a great call. We're going to take a quick break as we like to do here keep the lights on keep the show running appreciate it. stick around it's casterly talk are the gods real When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here on Casterly Talk, and we got George R. R. Martin speaking. He likes to do that. He likes to he likes to tumble on that tumbler too, doesn't he? Or live journal? No, he's live journal. He's the last working live journal in the world. Story out of the Guardian. He was uh, speaking to the Garden Guardian this week, not the Gardener, the Guardian. And the headline reads: George R. R. Martin says HBO's Game of Thrones wasn't very good for me. 
And they're talking about just what we were talking about earlier, the leg- the legacy, the rancorous response to the series finale of HBO's Game of Thrones continues to generate chatter three months later. Ryan Latin. Latinzino is writing this story here. Check it out on IndieWire is where I'm reading this one from. The original interview came on The Guardian. I'm not going to go through it in detail there. A lot of things that we've heard George either say before, hint at before, but let's dive in. He says um, that the show, you would have thought it would have made him, um, you know, get the books done faster. He says the very thing that should have speeded me up actually slowed me down. Every day I sat down to write and even if I had a good day, I'd feel terrible because I'd be thinking, my God, I have to finish the book. I've only written four pages when I should have written 40. I figured Dance of Dragons came out in 2011. We got, uh, we're still waiting. Still waiting. That makes some sense to me. Not only was George involved with the show in the early days, writing a script a season. Blackwater is uh, one of my favorite episodes written by George. He eventually stopped doing that because he said at the time, I need to concentrate on the book. And you can read into that. I think there's some things you can look at with George. I don't know him personally. I haven't had chips and salsa with him in uh, what is Santa Fe uh, out there in New Mexico. But there, there, there's some little comments along the way that I see that he, uh, not distances himself from the show, but it's like, hey, that's a decision they made. That doesn't happen in my story. And I would expect that. This is something he's put his entire life into for at least the latter half of his career and continues to do so. It is uh, the thing that his legacy is built on. So if the show does something a little different and he knows it's their right to do it because the rights have been given to him and he's not involved in the show on any other basis, I understand by him saying, eh, you know, I didn't, I, not my story or that's in my story, but a little different. Um, I, but I think at the time, maybe we read into it a little bit more when he's, ah, I'm not writing for the show. And I might have been guilty of that myself. But this really does, to hear it from him directly, it makes perfect sense. Because he also talks about how his uh, his profile rose. I mean, he is George R. Barton. I've been at Comic-Con parties. I've been at the, the Fox Sports Grill. Uh, when he was there at the, at the, at the Hilton Bayside uh, or Bayfront at, at Comic-Con. I mean, when he's there holding court, eating food and, and people around him and people are whispering, look at you, George R. Martin. I saw him walk into this party. Elevator open, ding. Crowded, one of those parties that you see in a movie, loud, you can't really see. Elevator open. George R. R. Martin and a couple of folks walked out, and it was like everyone stopped. He was the rock star of rock stars. And he talks about how, you know, this affected his personal life. I can't go into a bookstore anymore. And that used to be my favorite thing to do in the world, he says in this interview. To go in and wander around from stack to stack, take down some books, read a little, leave with a big stack of things I've never heard of when I came in. Now when I go to a bookstore, I get recognized within 10 minutes, and there's a crowd around me. So you gain a lot, and he admits that, and you do. You gain a lot, but... You lose things. All that probably affected his life. It probably took away his focus. And even I've said before, I know, I mean, he, he possibly wanted to wait till the show was done to get his book out. I, I think that's very uh, realistic, but uh, it also doesn't serve him too well. He stands to make uh, good money when this, this next book comes out. Uh, we all like money. It seemed to say, you know, his idea of like, hey, why would I delay it? I, I want it out too. It may, that makes sense to me as well. He does talk about the ending. And people are now, this question gets lost. We talk about the legacy of the show. Like, well, it'll be different in the books. It'll be fixed in the books. George says it's not going to affect it. He's writing what he is writing. And he also says you can't please everybody, so you've got to please yourself. 
uh, adding uh, that he had divorced himself from the ire sparked by the finale. I took myself out of all that. And he is, he's talking about, about the show. He's not talking about that. He's talking mostly about the online stuff. Uh, the that rancor, uh, not the rancor monster, but uh, he has completely, and he said it before. He's talked about. Uh, he was on the Maltons podcast, uh, Leonard and his daughter Jesse, uh, uh, saying talking about uh, it's all madness. It's madness, and I, I do agree. It's it's madness. The online uh, worlds of these shows, and these fandoms, does devolve into madness. It really does. It's a problem. I don't think it's ever going to go away. That's why we're talking about what, what Eric brought up. I just sometimes go, I retreat into my own joy. Back how you used to do it. If you loved the fall guy in the 80s, you didn't need to know other people's opinions about it. You might have wanted to, you might have discussed it. You just retreated into your own joy of the property. I think George has to do that, not just the joy of the show, uh, but I'm talking about the, the joy of him telling his own story. And what's still, I, I those... Those fans that are like, ah, George is going to get it right. I'm so curious. Maybe he will for them. Maybe he will for me. And I love the ending of the show. I think they're two separate properties. But you can't tell me, based on everything you know about the Song of Ice and Fire series and George R. R. Martin, that you're going to close that final book, if it is the final book, and think, ah, everything went according to my desires. You know George is going to, continue to write his story. He talks about some of the theories are right and some of the theories are wrong. They'll find out when I finish. Some of, some, and I, I, I want to say some of the time, some of the conversation I, I, I see around season eight and the dislike of it by certain fans is, is again, this, this expectations. We talk about it on Force Center a lot and speculating responsibly and how if you don't like a decision made by the show uh, or the, the characters in the show and it goes against what you wanted the character to do, that is fair. And you could feel that pain. I just don't like turning that into, well, that sucked. These are to be treated like living, breathing characters. It's a story un- unfolding in front of you. They're going to do things you don't like, especially in this type of program and this type of of story. I've got to imagine that George R. R. Martin is going to put some stuff out there that makes us think, well, I invested 20 plus years in the books. And I don't like that. So I'm curious, will he face the same kind of backlash or will people just accept uh, that's this is the answer? George wrote it. That's the answer. Be interesting to tell that could affect the legacy of the show as well. So just wanted to dive into that while we have the time. Uh, in the weeks to come here, one of the things I'm going to be doing is focusing, whether it's entire shows or just segments, on some of our favorite characters. Uh, hopefully me and some various guests coming in, talking about their journeys through the show, but also specifically the characters and what we can learn, some of their greatest moments some of uh, their greatest mistakes, some of the things we wanted them to do, some of the things they did that we didn't like, but maybe we understand. And and just in the story and outside the story, looking at the characters. So as we start to wrap up today here, had a big, long first segment. We're just kind of doing this, the, the wrap up here. Uh, what are some of your favorite characters that you want to see discussed? And maybe you can talk about uh, in, in, in a call here on Anchor about uh, what you your, your favorite moment with them your favorite uh, decision, your favorite or worst, least favorite mistake they made but made you appreciate the character even more. And you can talk about the performers and what they brought to it. If you have a thought, 
any of those characters, give us a call, put it in, and when the episodes come up, we'll drop them in. I'll keep them here, and we'll and we'll put them put them out there. I want to see all the characters: Robert Baratheon, Oberyn Martell, Tywin Lannister. Me and Ace Cabrera, we're dying to get into Tywin Lannister, uh, Baelish, Jorah, maybe even Hot Pie. What do we learn from Hot Pie? It's all there. It's all part of the fun of looking back. The legacy is strong with us, and we'll also start looking ahead to Blood Moon or the prequel series or the longer night of the Blood Moon or whatever the show ends up being called. Uh, A lot of fun hanging out with you all here today on Casterly Talk. You can support the show directly through Anchor. Leave a message. Leave a review on iTunes. Do all those things. Excuse me. Apple Podcast. I apologize. Um, And spread the word. We're not done talking Game of Thrones and World of Ice and Fire. I hope you aren't either. We'll see you next time here. A casterly talk.